they weren't threatening. Let's just be honest. If you read the letters, there's nothing threatening in the letters. Not in the first one. There's not, in but the, in any of none of them that you read, was there anything actually threatening to anybody? It's all passive aggressive. It's all how you interpret what he wrote. In this episode of The Brothers Grimm, Joey discusses the mystery of the Watcher of 657 Boulevard. This episode is not sponsored by Ring or Simply Safe. Well, not yet, at least. But I think after hearing this story, you're going to want to buy any type of security system you can get your hands on. By the way, fellas, I finally got a Ring video doorbell. You'll remember back in episode one, I mentioned I didn't have anything like that set up. Well, now I do. And here's why. So I am sitting at home, and uh, my wife, Tori... She sits down and she's like, hey, I need to talk to you about something. There is, there was a hanger on our patio chair on the front, on the front patio. And I was like, that's really strange, like a little baby hanger. And I was like, that's strange because you have to like actually walk onto my patio and around the railing and then set it on a chair. And I was like, that's really odd because it wasn't there when I left that morning and it wasn't there when Tori left that morning. Uh, so it had to have happened sometime during the day. It wasn't there the day before. And so it was just really creepy. We didn't know where it came from. Um, mostly because she didn't notice it until like later that night. And so we were both a little freaked out. And we really, to this day, we don't know where it came from. Uh, so somebody, somebody came onto my property as close as to my front door without me knowing it. And I did not like that feeling. Uh, so have either of y'all ever had anything strange happen around your house? Any strange like lurkers or creepy people or something like that? I don't think I've ever had any like strange people come walking up or drop something off that I wasn't expecting on my front porch. Um, so I, I can't really relate there, but what's this baby hanger? What are you talking about when you say a baby well, hanger? Like, like a hanger that baby clothes gotcha. would, would sit on. Yeah. No, for me, I'm, I'm, we've never had anything weird you know, happen, you know, around our house. I mean, the other night I was working and this car just passed like three times and we lived down near the end of a cul-de-sac. And so it was weird because I, I watched this car drive down, slowly circle the cul-de-sac and then leave and then drive down again, slowly circle the cul-de-sac and leave and then drive down for a third time. And so apart from that and it just being weird, they ended up going to a house in the cul-de-sac. I guess maybe they were lost. But I've never had anybody on my property leave me something fun. Actually, uh, I'll take this back. I, I never remember. When I was younger, we had somebody come. We left our garage door open. We had somebody come into the garage, open our truck door, reach in and steal out like a serious radio just steal that out and then left the door open, uh, the car door open and never closed it. So you've so, had like a thief. Yeah. I've had somebody come in and steal something. Yeah. That's, that's strange too. I think what's most unsettling is that, you know, we have a, a young, a young baby at home. And so it's just, it's just so strange to get that item sitting on a, on a, you know, on a chair and on our patio. Uh, 
I, I guess the biggest thing is like people can be really weird, and I've seen plenty of videos that like of ring you know doorbells where like sure. people do strange things that like stand outside other people's homes mm-hmm. or and so ever since I got the ring doorbell, I've just been waiting. Waiting for whoever left this baby hanger to come back and leave something else. And that kind of ties into the story today. In one of the safest neighborhoods in Westfield, New Jersey, sits a beautiful $1.3 million home. A three-story colonial-style house with six bedrooms, high ceilings, elegant columns, multiple fireplaces, and a sweeping Verdant garden. It is truly the American dream. And for one hardworking couple, their dream of owning a home like this finally became a reality. In 2014, Derek and Maria Broadus purchased their dream home at 657 Westfield Boulevard. But things took an ominous turn, and their dream turned into a homeowner's worst nightmare. Now here's a quick bit of history, and I want you to see if you can pick out a pattern from the history of the home. The house at 657 Westfield Boulevard was built in 1905. After a quiet 12 years, in 1913, the mayor of Westfield purchased the home for $1 from the original owners. $1. Eventually, the mayor would sell it to his son and daughter-in-law for $1 in 1947. They would sell it to another couple a few years later in 1951, again for $1. That couple would sell the house to another couple in 1953, again for just $1. And that couple would sell it to another family in 1955 for just $1. Are we seeing a pattern here? A little one. A A a $1 one. (laughs) Just a touch. You know, you and I have both been uh, uh, given cars uh, that we've purchased for a dollar from our grandparents. Yep, That's right. I was given a 1995 Ford Escort station wagon maroon for $1. Yep. I I bought my dad's truck from him for a dollar. I was given a 1998 uh, Oldsmobile Achieva for a dollar. It's nice when you buy something and you own it, though. Yeah, it feels good, I suppose. Well, I'm I'm sure that none of our our one dollar cars has quite the same history as this as this beautiful home. You might think this was some sort of family transaction for tax purposes, but that was not the case. The truth was, no one wanted to live in this beautiful house. Because it was being watched. Watched the whole time from the first owners on? When when was the first house, or when was it first bought? It was built. Or built. It was built in 1905, and then it was first sold uh, in 1913. Okay, so from 1913 to 1950 or 57? 1955. 55. It was sold how many times? About six or seven. Six or seven times, wow. So, in 40-something years, it was sold seven times. It's crazy. So, back to our couple in 2014. They had been busy restoring and updating their new home, but within the first few days, the first letter arrived on a nice June evening. Derek Broadus had been painting a few walls at the new home, and after finishing up, he checked the mail to discover a white, card-sized envelope addressed in thick handwriting to, quote, the new owner. This is what the letter said. Why are you here? I will find out. Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades. 
And as it approaches its, its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched it in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Signed only by The Watcher. The letter noted the Broaddus' three children and asked if there were more on the way. Do you need to fill the house with young blood, I, I requested? Better for me, once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. I asked the Woodses to bring me young blood. Now, this is, this is directed at the new homeowner, at the Broadduses. And in that, in that letter, it mentions the Woodses. Now, I would assume that the Woodses were the previous owners that the Broadduses bought the house from. So what, now we know that the Watcher had requested young blood from the Woodses. And now we find out that the, they know that the Broadduses have children that they're going to bring to the home. What just a weird, strange letter to receive on your doorstep. That's so creepy. Very creepy. It's it's very unsettling, especially now as a homeowner with a family. That's just not something I want to get in the mail at all. Yeah, I mean, I'm always excited when I get, you know, mail that's not junk mail. I was going to say even junk mail. I mean, that? you know, as a homeowner... Um, or really any, I mean, anytime you live anywhere, uh, nine times out of 10, the mail you get is junk mail because you get everything digital or you just don't, you know, paperless billing. And so when you get a card in the mail or you get an envelope and it's addressed to you, you know, it's, there's a certain amount of anticipation and, and angst with it. You're ready to open it and see who it's from. And to get it and read that would be, um, unsettling is an understatement. But it's crazy because they go back in that first letter and they say, you know, my grandfather watched it in the 20s. My father watched it in the 60s. And now it's my turn to watch the house. Oh, it just creeps me out so much to think about this. Exactly a month later, on July 18th, another letter came. This one asking a worrisome question and making a disturbing statement. This is what it says. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time, they will. I am pleased to know your names and have the names now of the young blood you have brought to me. They received one more letter. The last letter they received requested horribly specific information. It said, will they sleep in the attic or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. And that, that line alone would probably send me over the edge. Now, the Broadduses hadn't actually moved in yet. They were in the process of restoring the house, right? right? Mm -hmm. So you can imagine there are people working on the house and there's, you know, probably, you know, the family has come by the house a few times and, and that, but nobody has seen anybody drop a letter off. These are handwritten letters. The couple was so spooked that besides calling the police each time a letter arrived, they also hired former FBI agents, forensic linguists, and private bodyguards to assist in finding the culprit. The forensic linguist was only able to infer that the person writing the letter was of an advanced age, that they were probably elderly, which made the letters more legitimate and even creepier as they were apparently not just a teenage prank. What led them to believe that it was an elderly person? You know, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a linguist, but I would assume the way that they were writing perhaps maybe the the format of the sentences could have or, been how like how they were writing the curse of the 
they were using or yeah, maybe the verbiage or something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm not really sure. The letters had no return address, and police had nothing to go on. There was nothing they could investigate, as there were no leads. Police claimed they were investigating all possibilities and looking at all the neighbors as suspects, but never made any arrests or even had any specific suspects. I thought that was strange because hey. how how can how can you just not know who who it is? You've even with these people that have like private bodyguards and and forensic linguists, like they can't seem to find the person that's leaving letters. What Almost, kind of community is this? Is it a, a smaller community or is it a larger community? No, it's a pretty prominent community in New Jersey. I mean, it's it's. I mean, you're talking about 1.3 million dollar home, so the value of the community is is very high. It's not like it's not like it's a a small community. By any, I would say I would say it's an average neighborhood. I mean, if you see pictures of the home online, it looks like an average neighborhood, um, a well-to-do neighborhood. So what what's odd is like no neighbors would have really any reason to do this, you know, because. I'm a homeowner. I don't want I don't want one of the houses in my neighborhood to have this weird stigma about it. It would it would lessen the value of other homes and it just really would just make the make the neighborhood less pleasant to live in. So why would somebody in the neighborhood devalue a home like that? Maybe they feel like it's their home. Or maybe they have some sort of otherworldly attachment to it and yep. therefore the price or the value of the home is irrelevant. You know, it's it holds a a sentimental or some sort of nostalgic value to them. I'm going to read you one more one more bit of the letter. I think you'll find this one the most creepy. The watcher seemed to have a fascination for the three children set to move in. A few of the letters specifically referenced the nicknames the couple used for each of their kids, with one letter stating. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. This kind of reminds me of a Netflix series called, uh, I think it's Lock and Key. Oh, yeah. And it basically, these keys made this loud ringing sound, and only the children could hear it, mm. and they'd find these keys, and it would open up different doors in the house. And one door was like the um, afterlife world, where like they could fly around as ghosts. Another door was um, was to, like, you could repair anything. You could put something inside the, like, uh, a cabinet. And it would fix it and would repair it. That was a fascinating show. I remember Tori and I pitched that the first season that came out. Yeah. And I'm actually really looking forward to the I next am too. season. I am too. It was good. So let's let's I mean let's role play this a little bit. Like, what could this watcher be insinuating? Like that's what that's what's been going through my mind. Like, what are they trying to get at? What are is it is this a cult? Is this a a ghost or a, a creature? Is it, does somebody live in the walls that they don't know about? Like, what do we think? Like, what do y'all think? What are some theories you have? I don't know what it could be, but it's something that is fascinated with children, sounds like. It's like they really enjoy interacting with children, playing with children. Maybe, I mean, maybe they're tormenting children. I don't know. It's very, very weird. 
So as I listen to you reading the letters, it honestly sounds like somebody who's not 100% there. Uh, just by the way that they write and therefore the way that they talk, because most people write how they talk. And listening to the broken sentence structure and the incoherent line, the, the refusal to call them children. Um, yeah, the young blood. Yeah, it seems like somebody who maybe dealt with some past trauma, uh, maybe in the house, maybe before it initially sold, and or I guess that person would be super old. But um, well, he did say his grandfather, his father, and now it's his turn or their turn, whoever. Yeah, and I mean, and there's, no, I mean, that's the hard part. Is like at this point, you have no idea whether that's even credible or not, whether his father and his grandfather even did that. This could be a fantasy made up in this person's head, and they've had this unnatural attachment to the house that they feel like they are trying to protect whoever's there by low-key threatening them. Yeah, it's it's they haven't he the watcher hasn't quite come out and threatened them yet. He's just made some very scary innuendos and that is almost more terrifying like he's almost checking every box that that scares me right you got basements being afraid to go down there alone wouldn't be able to hear them scream what's in the walls what secrets does this house hold like it's it's like this person believes that the house is a living thing and something weird is going to happen either in the walls or in the basement yeah I mean, he obviously knows the structure inside the house. Like, he knows where the bedrooms are. He knows how the attic is laid out. You know, if there's some secret passages in the walls, he knows about those as well. See, that was my, like, immediate thought was, well, dang, this guy lives in the house. Yeah, he's familiar with it for sure. Well, the couple was appropriately freaked out and disturbed by these highly intrusive pieces of correspondence and attempted to sell the house to no avail. They would never move into 657 Westfield Boulevard. In one letter, the watcher wrote, Allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. The watcher commented that the new owners had updated the house so fancy and remarked that the, re- the remodel cries for the past and what used to be in a time when I roamed its halls. The watcher also said that they ran from room to room, imagining life with the rich occupants there. That's an, that's an interesting bit, tidbit of information. When I used to roam the halls, we used to run from room to room imagining life with the rich occupants. Again, leads me to believe this watcher either believes they were a spirit that lived in the home or believes that they used to live in the home. That's, this is terrifyingly creepy. Yeah. The amount of detail that he provides from his childhood and what he would do in the home or what he imagined he would do is... I mean, and now in 2014, you could have some sort of video surveillance hidden system that maybe somebody actually could be watching, but not from 1955. I'm glad you brought that up. It is 2014. Why haven't they put in a video system yet? Yeah. Why haven't they bought a ring doorbell? The, this technology was around in 2014. When the first letter came, I probably would have hung something up. Like I, I it, it was, it was that first letter was creepy enough. I would have put at least a, an outdoor camera pointed at the mailbox. Yep. 
because then you could at least see where this person was coming from. It didn't just it didn't just magically appear in the mailbox. There, somebody physically wrote it and physically put it in the mailbox. Do so, we think it was in the? Po- do we think the postal service delivered the, the mail, or do you th- do we think somebody actually put it in the mailbox? There was no return address. That but doesn't mean anything. Didn't mean it didn't. It can be. You could drop it in a drop box. And the mail service, was there any postal markings on the letters? Yeah, stamps or something. It just says a white card-sized envelope addressed in thick handwriting to the new owner. What I imagined was it just was it just was an envelope that said the new owner on it. So I I imagined this was dropped in the mail, uh, in the into the mailbox physically. But, I mean, that poses a good question. If there was at least a stamp on it, then it could have been mailed. Also, New Jersey, I'm not terribly familiar with everything but a lot of times the doors had like little mail slips where they people where the mailman would actually drop the mail into into the door that's true and it doesn't say that he went to a, that uh that derek brought us went to a mailbox it just said that he checked the mail hmm. yeah more than likely with the age of the house and the area that it's in it probably was a mail slit in the ha- like a mail bo- like a mail drop box either on the side of the house or in the front door, but regardless, I mean, let, let's just be honest. Like, if you're if you're building a house and your family's not there, I I'll be honest with you. I don't know if if my family's not living there and it's just the house that we're either renovating or planning on moving into. I don't know if I would see the necessity to put up surveillance at a house that my family's not at. Would you do it after the first letter, though? They weren't threatening. Let's just be honest. If you read the letters, there's nothing threatening in the letters. Not in the first one. There's not, in but the, in any of none of them that you read, was there anything actually threatening to anybody? It's all passive aggressive. It's all how you interpret what he wrote. But, I interpret it very creepy. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's, not that it's creepy. I'm not that. That's not in question here at all. I'm just saying it's not like he said, "Hey, new owner." I can't wait till you move in so that I can kill each one of your children lying in the bed. All he did was ask questions that then were opened to interpretation by whoever is reading it or whoever's hearing the story. All it is is probably just some crazy guy who really likes the house and wants to be friends with whoever's there. And this is his twisted, uh, psychotic way of trying to get to know them and maybe save them from what he interprets as danger in the home. But it sounds like there's history of this happening in the past because every time the house was sold for a dollar means people are like, I'm trying to get up out of here. But there's no documented letters outside of this latest family. It's very uh, circumstantial, but it's very interesting. But to me, like, would you not be curious at all who's doing this? You wouldn't want to put up some sort of camera to find out, like, <laughs> who's coming around here dropping random mail. Yeah, I mean, you're about to move into your dream home. This is the home you're planning to stay in for, you know, for your children's children. You just spent Or your young point, bloods, young bloods, if you will. You just spent $1.3 million plus whatever it is to fix it up. I mean, I would think that in a neighborhood like that, at $1.3 million, there's, sort of, there's some sort of neighborhood security. Most high-end neighborhoods have that. They probably It's probably a gated community, more than likely. Maybe. And so... It's an old Victorian style home, so it it may just be like the normal streets of town kind of thing. I just would not put a whole lot of stock in it until 
I felt threatened. Otherwise, it's just like somebody crank calling you. Does like, he- I think about the Friends episode, but where Joey and Ross are both unemployed, uh, well, Ross is on sabbatical, and they call Chandler's office and basically pretend to be a woman. And Hello, tell him, Mr. B. Yeah, and he get, and he said you've been doing it for six months, and so I, I while that's supposed to be funny, and and granted, uh, maybe this person was trying to be funny. I'm not sticking up for this person at all. All I'm saying is, when you read the letters and you actually read them for the content that's in them, not how creepy it feels to read them. There's nothing threatening about the letters at sure. all. It's just creepy, and it makes you uneasy. And for me, until I felt that tinge of terror like something was going to happen i would just write it off as some old person who's lonely see that's 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 an interesting viewpoint it is of this probably not what i would do no not me either probably the difference between you and me is i've watched too many horror movies and so my mind automatically goes to yo this person's gonna eat me see i'd respond write a letter back if they're dropping it in the same spot every time so you would so let me get this straight we've now Listeners, you've listened to us for the last at least, you know, however many episodes we are at. Now, you know Jeremy's not the person to to mess with the demon the demonic things or mess with the Ouija boards or bring the spirits in, but you're gonna write a letter back to the watcher that's that's talking about your young blood and secrets in the walls and uh basement screams and stuff. I mean, I, I'd ask you some questions like is there any information you can give on what's in the walls? Is there money? Like, tell us who you are. We'd love to hang out with you. You know, you have to make contact. I don't know, man. I just think that it's a little bit of an overreaction to immediately jump the jump to the, this person is, you know, wanting to murder these people or kill them or do any harm when there's nothing that's been in anything that he's written outside of just saying creepy things. Maybe not, but it sounds like Jeremy uh, wants to incite whoever the Watcher is. Hey, Watcher, I would love for you to reach out to me. Well, Derek and Maria filed a lawsuit against the previous owners, alleging that since they were aware of the stalker, known by this time as the Watcher, they should have disclosed that to the potential buyers, and that by not doing so, they were in breach of contract. So the previous owners were definitely aware of the Watcher, as on May 26th of 2014, Weeks before the deed would be transferred to Maria and Derek, the watcher sent a letter noting that there was a new family moving into the home and who claimed a right of possession and or ownership to the home. But the lawsuit was unsuccessful and the police were not able to solve the case. So the couple applied to have the land bulldozed and proposed building two smaller properties side by side to sell at a lower price or to rent out. But their application to the Neighborhood Planning Commission was denied. They were stuck with the watched house exactly as it was. So the previous homeowners, the Woodses, they did get a letter and they did not disclose that. Yeah, I guess legally they don't have to. I know if there's like somebody dies or there's a murder crime committed in the house, you may have to disclose that. But This would be why the lawsuit was unsuccessful because they were, there were no grounds for a suit. So, so they try to bulldoze the home and, and set up two, two properties on the house to rent smaller properties. But the neighborhood is like, no, you're not going to tear down a $1.3 million beautiful home and, and ruin the aesthetic in the neighborhood. The last letter was received in 2017 after the failed attempt at bulldozing the home. It read simply, 
Loved ones suddenly die. You are despised by the house, and the watcher won. To date, no advances have been made in this case, and the watcher remains at large. But Netflix has just purchased the rights to this intriguing story, and will be producing a feature-length film on it. So what do we think? I have a few theories that I'm going to share, but I want to hear what you think. Who do you think the watcher is? I believe it could be a senile, maybe senile, but person who lives close by, who is just watching, who has been watching the, um, who has owned the house. Um, I mean, you know where I stand on it. I mean, I, I think that it's somebody with an unhealthy attachment to the property or the house or a family that used to live in the house. And, you know, this is their attempt. Maybe they don't want neighbors. Maybe, you know, they are happy when the house is vacant. Well, you're not alone, either of you. Because the first theory suggests that an unstable and possibly dangerous neighbor just disliked the Broadus family and intended to drive them away. The private investigator hired by the Broadduses claimed the neighbors didn't seem normal. But no suspects have ever been publicly notified. That's odd. Didn't seem normal. I wonder what he means by that, because I, we never find out what the PI means by that. But here's another theory for you. Is the Broadduses themselves, who wrote the letters to get out of the investment after getting in over their heads, the rumor goes that Derek and Maria couldn't handle possibly two mortgages, and the stress and cost of restoring a historic home in such an idyllic neighborhood. It's very possible. There's an easy way to, to, to refute that is handwriting analysis. Can't you intentionally change your handwriting, though? Don't you think that's possible? According to the Zodiac case, which I have watched extensive uh, research and everything on, the, there are certain characteristics about your writing that no matter how much you try to change it, that there are going to be subtle nuances to your handwriting that are going to give you away. So the only way really around that is if you're an ambidextrous writer where you can write uh, equally well with your left hand and your right hand, uh, therefore giving... Um, you know, the, the nuances within your handwriting, the subtle differences, um, enough where it would throw off handwriting analysis. But that is a good theory. That I like that one as well. The other thought is, like, if I'm the one who's saying, oh, this, these creepers, creepy letters are coming in, well, the Broadduses were probably never asked, did you write them yourself? Probably. Like, but who, it, who would, what police officer would go, I bet you did this. But it still doesn't answer the question of why was this beautiful historic home only sold for a dollar what seven times in 30 years 40 years it's very true and the only record that we have is from 1955 to 2014 which is right. a pretty big gap yeah it's amazing that somebody lived there or somebody owned that house from that time span or squatted in the house yeah i mean i guess if between the 1955 and 2014 the house was vacant and whoever owned it didn't live in there, and somebody was squatting. Maybe they knew knew the house pretty well. It's true. And the watcher only goes back to the 20s, and the house was built in 1905. Right. Well, here's some peace of mind. The house sold. In 2019, and this hit headline news, in 2019, the Broadduses' nightmare came to an end when they sold 657 Boulevard for $959,000, according to, to Zillow. They took a loss on the home. But for the Broadduses, it's over. I'm really intrigued to see where Netflix goes with this for some type of feature film. Yeah, I wonder, did they buy it, I wonder? I wonder if they bought it. 
Netflix? Yeah. Like, I wonder if they may have bought it. I don't think they bought the home, but that's an interesting turn. It, it, I really like the theory that the Broadduses are responsible for it because a feature film came out of this. Like, it got so much publicity and so much attention. Now, sure, they, they sold the home for a loss, potentially, but they could have also brokered a deal with Netflix. When did Netflix announce that they had purchased the rights? Within the last couple years. Which would be 2019, which is when the house sold. So you think maybe Netflix bought the house? If you're Netflix and you're doing a movie about a house, why would you not want the actual property? Yeah. Ooh, and they are keeping it a secret who the new homeowner is. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, that's that's my story, folks. It's, uh, it's a creepy one, and it always makes me uncomfortable. I'm glad I have a ring doorbell so I can at least see the creeper when they're outside my home. This episode was written by Joey Thompson with discussion from Jeremy Thompson and Brian McIntyre and was recorded at Starscream Studio. Grayson over at Starscream is an incredible producer and engineer, so be sure to visit starscreamstudio.com for all your tracking and recording needs. Additional audio support by Will Compton and original music composed by Nick McClure. Be sure to subscribe, and when you do, drop a line in the comments and say hi. We want to hear your grim stories, too. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.